When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, hello. You're listening to More Morgulons, and I'm the host of More Morgulons, Crystal Clear. Thanks for tuning in. I have a question for listeners who have Morgulons disease. What does this disease make you feel? I'll tell you what it makes me feel. It makes me feel sad, angry, helpless, alone, and scared. These are not feelings I want to feel, so how do I combat them? Before I combat them, I must first accept and allow myself to feel them with non-judgment and compassion. Then I can gather up all of these feelings, take a deep breath, and when I exhale, I can give them to the Great Spirit. For I am not my thoughts, I am not my feelings, and I am not my body. I am part of the eternal creation, and a perfect example of God's love. And I also use ration and logic to determine my options because I do have options. If I do not want to feel sadness, then I have the option to be present and grateful. Gratitude is the antidote to despair. Anger. Anger is fear dressed up as power. However, power can only be gained through taking responsibility. When we choose anger, it makes us feel like we are doing something. It gives us the illusion of empowerment. However, empowerment can only be arrived at through the process of taking responsibility. If I take responsibility for my destiny, I am no longer helpless. I am in control of those few things that I do control. My feelings, my thoughts, and my actions. That which drives my destiny. I refuse to take responsibility for anything else, for anything else is beyond the scope of my control. And feeling alone? Scared? Well, I know I'm not alone. I know I'm not alone. This podcast has proven that, factually, rationally. I am not alone. You are not alone. We are all alone in this together. And as for feeling scared, well... Why shouldn't I be scared? I woke up drenched with sweat this morning. Yesterday, I realized that the lymph nodes on the left side of my neck are swollen, non-tender, just like the ones on the right side of my neck have been for five years. I read yesterday that on average, it takes seven biopsies and seven years for a person to get a positive diagnosis of mycosis fungoides, the most common form of cutaneous lymphoma. I repeat, the most common form. Imagine how long it will take to get a positive diagnosis of perhaps the newest and rarest form. Morgulons? I don't know. I don't know if that's what Morgulons is. I just know that drenching night sweats, swollen lymph nodes, and patches and plaques on my skin, lesions that won't heal, 
are not a delusion. They are physical, objective signs, not subjective symptoms. They can be validated and observed. And eventually, upon these objective facts, these demonstrable proofs, eventually the truth about this disease will come to light and no longer be able to be denied. Listeners, let's take a stroll down memory lane to the Dallas Observer in an article called The Plague by Jesse Hyde, July 20th, 2006, 4 a.m. It's well past midnight in Leander, Texas, and as usual, Travis Wilson can't sleep. His skin is itching. It's always itching. He tries not to think about it, but it's been itching for more than a year, and he cannot make it stop. It's driving him crazy. He paces the halls, careful not to wake his mother who is sleeping downstairs. It's a big house, 3,000 square feet, but sometimes she hears him stirring, playing his guitar, watching TV, or writing in his online journal. Anything to keep his mind off the, quote, non-stop, itching, biting, crawling sensation under his skin. In many ways, he's a normal 22-year-old, albeit a bit troubled, He is of average height and build with the pale skin of someone who spends most of his time in front of a computer. He struggled with drug addiction, loneliness, and depression, and he and his mom have had their issues, although things are better now. He's taking classes at the community college in Austin where his mom works as a software engineer and he's made some friends there. Maybe he'll move out soon. If only he could get better. He's always been sickly, even as a boy growing up in Washington State, but this is unlike anything he and his mother have ever seen before. The itching isn't even the worst of it. He has lesions all over his thin, frail body, on his legs, his arms, the back of his neck. His sweat is black, thick as tar. Something is terribly wrong with him. He knows what it is, even if most doctors don't acknowledge it as a real disease. It's called Morgulons. He discovered it on the internet in January 2005. All over the country, but especially in Texas, Florida, and California, people are diagnosing themselves. They are ranchers and lawyers and bartenders, people from all walks of life in cities big and small, and they have the same symptoms. The itching, the lesions, the fibers. Yes, the fibers. That's really the worst part. Fibers sprouting from his skin, thin like fishing wire, sometimes blue or red, growing from his body. One night he looked down into his horror, saw a spaghetti-like strand sticking out of his chest. He called out to his mom, who found a pair of tweezers and tried to pull it out, but the fiber sunk back like it had a mind of its own. He figures he caught the disease in Mexico, perhaps from drinking the water, or maybe he caught it because he has Lyme disease like his mother. 
There are all kinds of theories on the internet. Maybe it came from, quote, chemtrails, the exhaust plumes from jet planes, or chiggers, or a government conspiracy. He doesn't know what to believe. He has a disease with no known cause and worse, no known cure. Beyond the bizarre physical symptoms, it makes him weak and forgetful. His left hand sometimes trembles. He loses his sense of smell. He goes days without sleeping or eating. Morgulans, a disease that may not even be real, is slowly killing him. And although he doesn't know it yet, he will become its public face. So do y'all know where this story is going? Mm. Before 2002, nobody had heard of Morgulans disease. Today, there are more than 4,000 people in the United States who say they have it, and hundreds more worldwide. Doctors who believe the disease is real, and there are at least a dozen have no idea what causes it. As Wilson discovered, the theories range from the plausible bugs to the outlandish French bottled water. Whatever it's caused, those who have seen the disease up close say it is horrifying, like something out of a sci-fi movie. It's unlike anything we've seen to this point, says Ginger Savely, a San Francisco nurse practitioner who has treated more than 125 Morgulans patients, most of them from Texas. It's so different that it sounds kind of, well, it's scary because it's so different. Some of the things I've seen, it could really make you doubt your own sanity. Wilson's symptoms, for example, lesions, black sweat, colored fibers sprouting from the skin are some of the most commonly described symptoms. I have also had black sweat one time early in the disease uh, I believe it was this time last year, I had black sludge, sweat, I guess you could call it thick black sludge, though, coming out of every single pore in my body, head to toe, hands, feet, everything. It was one of the most disturbing things I have ever seen in my life. Uh, so uh, other side effects include, what does that mean, other side effects? I think we're talking about other symptoms include hair loss, quote, brain frog, crippling fatigue, and occasionally the disintegration of teeth. Yes, I do have disintegrated teeth in my head right now. <sighs> Y'all, it's intense. It's really intense. Uh, two of the largest clusters of the disease, according to the Morgulans Research Foundation, are in the Houston and Dallas areas. Judy Egan, a 55-year-old bar manager who lives near Arlington, says she and her husband contracted Morgulans about a year ago after handling produce at a farmer's market near Mansfield. Both have seen strange fibers coming out of their skin. Others who have the illness are afraid to speak publicly about it, fearing friends and coworkers will think they're nuts. If somebody would have told me about this two and a half years ago, I would have thought, well, too much LSD for you, says an Allen Middle School teacher who didn't want to be identified. You know, this doesn't sound like anything from our world. It's so out there. Mainstream medicine dismisses the disease as imaginary, and most Morgulon sufferers have been diagnosed with delusional parasitosis, a psychiatric condition in which patients believe they are infested with parasites. Psychiatrists have noted that patients with this disorder will sometimes dig out small fibers, which are most likely peripheral nerve endings? What? Psychiatrists are telling people that what they're digging out of their skin that they perceive as fibers are peripheral nerve endings. Does that even remotely fucking make sense, guys? No, it doesn't. Because if you were pulling out your peripheral nerve endings, you would no longer have innervated skin. Let's just talk about where those things are located, for instance. On your lips, which from which many, many fibers have come out of my skin, 
The nerve endings are located in the dermis. That is the layer of skin between the epidermis, the outer layer, which makes up the cutis, which is the actual outer layer, and the subcutaneous fat. The dermis is deep, deep within the skin structure. Nobody is pulling out their peripheral nerve endings. The nerve endings on hairy and non-hairy skin are located elsewhere, but yet again, if you pulled them out, then you would lose all sensation and or motor function. So, unless your face is paralyzed and numb, you have not in any way pulled out your peripheral nerve endings. Psychiatrists shouldn't try to play like they're real doctors, because they're not. Moving right along. Um, so psychiatrists have noted that patients with this disorder will sometimes dig out small fibers, which are most likely peripheral nerve endings. No, to prove that bugs are in fact crawling under their skin. Other doctors suspect fibers are actually from clothing, carpet, or upholstery. Yes, which is somehow embedded in my skin. Okay, sure. It's probably just a variant of delusions of parasitosis, says Dr. Dan Eisen, a University of California at Davis dermatologist. It's fairly common. Most dermatologists have seen people who complain that they have bugs crawling under their skin. This sounds like the same thing, except they're not complaining of bugs, they're complaining of fibers. <sighs> Doctors such as Eisen also say it's unlikely that the varied symptoms associated with morgulons, from lesions to joint pain to loss of vision, could all be caused by the same disease. Really? Really? Because psoriasis? Uh, rheumatoid arthritis, uh, uh, ankylizing spondosis, or some, I can't remember what it's called. There are many, many conditions that cause a wide variety of symptoms. Lesions, joint pain, loss of vision, uh, hello, river blindness. Um, there's so many, so many, Lyme. There are so fucking many diseases that cause a wide, a wide variety of symptoms, especially things that have to do with lesions and arthritis. That is so commonly found together. Um, and yes, it can affect your vision. Then he goes on to stupidly say, what's more likely is that as word of Morgulon spreads through the internet and television news coverage, more people become convinced they have it. If this is the case, then Morgulon's is one of, in a long line of weird diseases that have swept through populations only to disappear without a trace once public concern subsides. Well, let me tell you something, buddy. Public concern over Morgulon's has fully subsided. That happened around 2012 when the CDC published their shit paper about it. But uh, according to my estimates, seems like people all over the world are still suffering from Morgulons, even though public attention has fallen away. It's still occurring. New cases are still popping up. Austin Morgie Girl just caught it last May. Me and two other folks in Atlanta just caught it last June and July. Y'all, the logic of our opponents is incredibly flawed to the point that it is illogical. Until recently, public health officials more or less ignored Morgulons. Now, after more than a year of fielding complaints and inquiries from around the country, the Centers for Disease Control is forming a task force to investigate what they will find is anybody's guess. Perhaps Morgulons is an imaginary disease. Mm-hmm. Yes, black sweat. It's all in my imagination, even though I've got pictures and videos of it coming out of my skin. Sure. 
Or perhaps, as some doctors have suggested, it is the scariest thing ever to hit America. Donald Trump is the scariest thing to ever hit America, y'all. Um, but Morgulon's pretty bad, too. The story of Morgulon's disease begins in the summer of 2001 in suburban Pennsylvania when, for no explicable reason, a two-year-old boy comes down with a mysterious rash. Lesions then break out over his entire body, including his lips. An infectious disease specialist diagnoses him with a rare form of scabies and prescribes an antifungal cream. That makes no sense. The boy's mother, Mary Leto, is assured the rash will clear up. One night, while spreading the cream on her son's arms, Leto notices, notices something coming out of his skin. It looks like balls of fuzz or maybe dead bugs. Even under magnification, she can't tell exactly what she's looking at. Maybe it's scabies excrement, she thinks. Oh no, Mary. Mary, you know it will be the Morglons. At her son's as her son's health deteriorates, Leto becomes frustrated with her dermatologist who doesn't know what's wrong with the boy, so Leto turns to the internet. On a scabies message board, she details her son's condition. Quote, if your son has fibers coming out of his skin, you're in really deep weeds and we're sorry, comes the response. The good news is that she isn't alone. There are others who have the same thing all over the country. One day, while researching an obscure 17th century medical text, Blado comes across a disease called Morulans, defined by, quote, strange hairs that break out on the backs of children, causing coughing and convulsions. To Lado, this sounds similar to her son's condition. From then on, in conversations and on her website, her son's condition is called Morgulans. Word spreads. Other websites and message boards warn of Morgulans and the theories take off. Perhaps it is caused by chemical spills or bioterror or even alien abductions. On a radio program called Coast to Coast, popular among people who believe in UFOs and ghosts, a New Mexico doctor reports that a former CIA agent told him the disease was caused by the French. A botched government experiment, he says, contaminated the water. All Evian drinkers are at risk. I'm of the firm belief that this is the beginning of a worldwide epidemic, the doctor later declares. The mainstream media take notice. Television stations in Idaho, Alabama, and California do stories on Morgulans. A station in San Francisco interviews Billy Koch, a former closer for the Oakland A's, who says he has the disease. Doctors start calling, first from Houston, then from Georgia, and then from San Francisco. All of them believe the disease is real. In 2004, Leto forms the nonprofit Morgulans Research Foundation. Two members of its medical advisory board, Dr. Raphael B. Stricker and Ginger Savely, have been at the forefront of the, quote, Lyme Wars, an ongoing battle over a chronic strain of Lyme, which some doctors say does not exist, and how to treat it. Both have been instrumental in convincing lawmakers that chronic Lyme is a growing threat and that more money should be spent to better understand it. Despite their best efforts, the Morgulans Research Foundation is unable to drum up the same kind of support. Senator Dianne Feinstein of California writes a letter in their, on their behalf asking the CDC what, if any, actions it has taken regarding the disease. Senator John Cornyn of Texas asks the same of his state health department. In response, Lato gets encouraging phone calls and letters from public health officials, but they ultimately go nowhere. Then in 2005, the Morgulans movement gets a boost. An assistant professor of pharmacology at Oklahoma State University named Randy Wymore, who has built much of his career on studying obscure diseases, wants to research Morgulans. The fact that a professor at a medical school would even consider studying the disease is great news for Leto. It's exactly what an organization in need of credibility has been waiting for. At the request of the MRF, patients and doctors begin sending Wymore samples of fibers they have extracted from their skin. The fibers all look very similar, but Wymore is skeptical. So he begins to gather his own samples from Walmart and carpet stores, from horses, dogs, and cats, even from a llama at his daughter's elementary school. Over time, he becomes more and more convinced that the fibers people are sending him are unlike anything seen before. 
Beginning in early 2006, 14 Morgulon's patients come to Wymore's lab on two separate occasions. Six are children and eight are adults. All have fibers that appear to be growing from their skin. To prove that the fibers are not environmental contaminants, Wymore and his staff, which includes a doctor and a pediatrician, cut into the skin and remove colored fibers. To find fibers underneath unbroken skin when there's no lesion, no scarring, no sign of scratching whatsoever would preclude any possibility of this being contaminants from the environment, Wymore says. He sends the fibers to an independent pathology lab in Tulsa. During the testing process, the fibers are accidentally drained down a sink. He sent another batch in June and eagerly awaits the results. That's just so ridiculous. I don't understand that paragraph, y'all. Word of Wymore's research spreads. Dermatologists contact him, angry that he is giving the psychiatric disorder credibility. This is nonsense, they tell him. I know there are some physicians who consider me part of a lunatic fringe, he says, but I'm convinced that if they came into my lab and spent a day with me and these patients and saw what I'm seeing, they would believe this is real. I stopped doubting a long time ago. In the last few months, Wymore has been bombarded by phone calls and emails from Morgulon sufferers, family members and coworkers, even school principals who wonder if the disease is contagious. Doctors from all over the country have called asking him how they should treat the disease. Since May, he has received 486 emails asking for some help or information. He wonders why the CDC isn't doing more. Why am I the one dealing with these people, he asked. I have no problem dealing with people in Oklahoma as a sort of public service aspect of my job, but when it starts coming from New York and California and Washington and Minnesota, I mean, we've crossed state lines. It seems to me this should become a federal issue. Leda was also frustrated that the CDC hasn't done more. Besides her youngest son, now seven, Leda's two teenagers have also contracted Morgulons. All three experienced joint pain, lesions, fibers, and loss of energy, and all miss school regularly. We don't have time to wait for the CDC. We're going to absolutely move forward on our own. We have to, she says. I have sick kids, and we don't have time to wait. None of us do. Back in Leander, Travis Wilson is getting worse. Fibers are coming out of his fingers, his neck, even his mouth. He wants to transfer to the University of Texas and major in psychology. Basically, he just wants to help people, he writes in his online journal. All of my life I've taken and never given back, he writes. I need to balance my karma, but he is wasting away. He can't eat because the fibers get in his food. When he bathes, black fibers seep out of his skin and ring the tub. He goes to doctors and tells them of the fibers, but they don't see anything. Maybe that's because they talk to him from across the room. Maybe that's because they're convinced he's delusional without even really looking at him. If you want to know about the sci-fi nightmare that is Morgulon's disease, then feel free to go to the main site at morgulons.com. He writes in his online journal. Check out the forums to read all the cool things like morphing hairs, cotton, white, and black pustules popping out of people's skin, and all sorts of neat physical and mental trauma that I've endured over the past eight months. He finds Ginger Savely, a nurse practitioner on the MRF Medical Advisory Board, who has a practice in Austin. Savely sees white fibers growing out of his hand and black specks that look like pepper that come out of his palms. As he brushes them off, they come right back. Travis, I know exactly what you have gone through. But even Savely doubts some of the things he says he's seeing. He points at the air and says, see, there they are, there they are. Savely doesn't see anything. It's ridiculous, y'all. They are in the air. They are in the air. His mom is also worried. She assures Travis that no one has hacked into his computer, that bugs are not coming out of the screen. Privately, she worries that he is losing his mind. She sometimes, he sometimes sees black vans parked out in front of their house. Maybe he is the subject of a U.S. government experiment, he thinks. Hey, kids, from the same people who brought you the Gulf War Syndrome, now present to you Morgulons, a new biological warfare study that our government has launched on their own people. He writes, have fun with it. Just don't go and commit suicide, Junior. That'll screw up their neat and tidy data. He isolates himself, even from his mother, afraid the disease is contagious. They stop eating together. They separate their laundry. They avoid sitting on the same couch. His worst fear is that he will contaminate her. She goes out of town, and he tears up the carpet and burns it, along with his clothes and their couch, trying to stop the spread of the disease. 
On March 24th, he makes what sounds like a final entry in his online journal. Still alive, sort of, he writes. Here's a chapter from my novel I'm writing, Goodbye, Blue Sky. He begins with a Smith song. Don't try to wake me in the morning because I will be gone. Don't feel bad for me. I want you to know deep within the cell of my heart, I will feel so glad to go. There is another world. There is a better world. Sometimes it seems suicide is the only escape. No one disputes the link between mental illness and Morgulons. The question is which comes first. I dispute the link between Morgulons and mental illness. I dispute it wholeheartedly. I'm not mentally ill. I'm mentally well. You may have mental symptoms that come as a result of having a disease that no one believes, but that doesn't mean that it's the disease itself. The question is whether what comes first. Morgulon suffers or Morgies insists that the horrific symptoms of the disease bring on delusions and obsessive compulsive behavior. Detractors say it's the other way around. <sighs> oh, those detractors will be very sorry one day if they get Morgulons, like I did. One of the most popular websites on the disease is Morgulon's Watch, a blog dedicated to poking holes in every known theory on the disease. The blog operator would only agree to an interview via email and would only identify himself as Michael from Los Angeles. Later, the director of the Morgulon's Research Foundation suspects that Michael is a dermatologist. Michael describes his interest in Morgulon's as a hobby, nothing more. I hate seeing people misled. I'm a skeptic, and this just seems like something that would benefit from investigation. He says, I keep anonymous to avoid making enemies. You keep anonymous because you're a coward. One of Michael's theories is that Morgulons is a mass psychogenic illness. Other sites popular among skeptics such as mind hacks have suggested the same thing. A mass psychogenic illness is an illness in which real physical symptoms are created by the mind. Earlier this year in Portugal, for example, large numbers of school children came down with symptoms that mirrored those suffered by characters in a popular teenage soap opera. The outbreak came just days after an episode aired about a life-threatening virus descending on a school. So, but did they actually have objective signs? I mean, that would be what would, you know, tell the difference between a mass psychogenic illness and a real outbreak. Then there's coro, or penis panic, in which a man believes his penis is shrinking into his body. Some men with coro have gone as far as attaching fish hooks to their foreskin. Yes, but if their penis was really shrinking into their body, it would no longer be delusional. That is how, once again, we tell the difference. In 1967, a Cora outbreak in Singapore subsided only after a massive propaganda campaign in which health officials assured the public it was anatomically impossible for the penis to retract into the body. The government also ordered the media to stop airing stories on reported cases. But that is not a good analogy. It's just not a good analogy. They didn't have lesions. They didn't actually have a penis retracting into their body. Morgulon's people actually have lesions, and they are not self-imposed. They actually have fibers under unbroken skin. As recently as 2003, a similar epidemic swept through the capital of Sudan, where hundreds of men became convinced their penises would melt if they came into contact with Zionists trying to wipe them out. Word of the disease spread through the media and text messaging. Uh, one local columnist advised readers to avoid a dark-skinned man who was spreading the disease. Others thought the disease was passed through verbal curses or an electronic robot comb. Similar mass outbreaks have occurred in the United States. In the summer of 2002, the New York Times Magazine ran a story about a mysterious skin rash that appeared at more than two dozen elementary and middle schools across the country in the months after September 11th. The rash would typically disappear the moment the kids got home from school. I'm gonna need more information. But there were also other questions. Why did more girls than boys catch it? Why weren't parents and siblings catching it? And above all, what was causing it? Health officials ran blood tests that were inconclusive, environmental, Investigators couldn't find asbestos or chemical spills or anything else that would cause the rash. 
The Times story titled Hysteria Hysteria speculated that the outbreak may have had something to do with the anthrax paranoia after September 11th. Or it actually could have been anthrax. Rumors spread that the rashes were caused by terrorist attack, cover-up, or through donated books on Islam. Others traced the outbreak back to chemtrails from airplanes, a theory that would later be used to explain Morgulans. One of the experts quoted in this story was Tim Jones, an epidemiologist from the Tennessee Department of Health, who studied a similar rash outbreak there. In that case, Jones concluded that the rashes were an example of mass psychogenic illness, a condition that could affect anyone regardless of age or education. Sick building syndrome, for example, is surprisingly common, Jones says. The illness is spread through the power of suggestion. Someone at work smells something, wonders if natural gas is leaking, where it spreads, and before long, everyone in the office feels sick. Feeling sick is different, once again, than objective symptoms of a disease. Jones doesn't think Morgulans is a mass psychogenic illness, however, because there's no such thing as a Morgulans outbreak. You know, 50 people don't go to work and get hit with Morgulans, he says. Instead, the disease hits one person at a time. But there may be a similarity between the two and how hysteria fueled by message boards, websites, and the media causes the disease to spread. Many Morgulans sufferers say they never knew they had the disease until they saw it on television. They never knew what it was called. Why would you be on the internet, on those message boards at all, if you weren't experiencing symptoms prior to that introduction to the community. I don't, this is so <sighs> frustrating. Many Morgulans suffers, uh, a San Antonio television reporter who did a story on Morgulans and may had trouble finding interview subjects for her first piece on the subject. But after the segment aired, she was swamped with calls from people who thought they had the disease. Finding people to interview for a follow-up story was no problem at all. That, how, how does that suggestive of mass delusion or being spread by the internet? People didn't know she was fucking doing the story. She didn't know where to look. They saw that somebody was writing about it and they wanted to talk to her. I mean, like, how, this is, this is not logical. It's not rational. I mean, yes, I guess you could explain it in the way they're explaining it, but you could just as easily explain it in the way I'm explaining it. It's really impossible to say. Uh, part of the problem with a disease like Morgulans, Jones says, is that its symptoms are both vague and varied. They're not vague, and there's one symptom that's not varied. Lesions that don't heal with fibers in the skin. That's not vague. And it's not varied. It's the one commonality that all people with Morgulans report. What else can I say there? Before public health officials can investigate, there must be a clear definition of the disease. The Morgulans Research Foundation say that they have that def definition, but there is no one symptom or even group of symptoms that defines Morgulans. There actually is one symptom. It's Morgulans. It's having Morgulans, like, in your skin. That's really frustrating. While most morgies have lesions and fibers, some do not. Well, then I would postulate that they're not morgies. The school teacher in Allen, who spoke to the Dallas Observer, for example, says she doesn't have any outward signs of the disease. Her symptoms include the feeling that something's crawling under the skin of her forehead, trouble sleeping and concentrating, and possibly the disintegration of her teeth and fingernails. That could be anything. If you don't have morgulans, then it's not morgulans. Trying to do studies on a group like this becomes virtually impossible because you may have 10% of the people who meet a real strict definition and a whole bunch of other people who don't. Then just study the 10%. Problem solved. Jones says, if you go through 10 patients and one is having discolored sweat, another one's having pieces of spaghetti stick out of his skin, and another one's having, I don't know, heel pain, it's really hard to think what would tie these things together. They're not tied together. Only the person with spaghetti sticking out of his skin is the Morgulans patient. Maybe there are three different diseases, in which case trying to give them all the same label and trying to figure out a single cause for that could be a group of diseases turns out to be an investigational nightmare. 
The most important thing, Jones says, is for patients to find a doctor who will listen because as crazy as it sounds, Morgulons could be real. Not a day goes by that the Centers for Disease Control doesn't hear from someone who claims to have Morgulons. Until recently, these complaints were sent to different departments because no one was sure how to classify Morgulons or even what to call it. Was it a disease, a syndrome, a psychiatric disorder? Before contacting the CDC, the Morgulons Research Foundation pressed public health officials to investigate, first in California and then in Texas, because those two states had the most reported cases. Initially, their requests were met with genuine respect and concern, says Lato, the MRF executive director. But over time, the response soured. In Texas, for example, Lato was ultimately referred to a report leaking adverse childhood experiences experiences with serious behavioral health problems later in life. Perhaps this was the explanation for the symptoms of Morgulon's disease. <sighs> My God, I'm so sorry, Mary. The response from the CDC hasn't been much better. It has taken the federal agency more than a year just to form an investigational task force. And while the task force is good news to Morgie, some wonder if it's just talk. After all, the task force was first announced in January, and so far, none of its members have been named publicly. CDC spokesman Dan Rutz says the agency has moved slowly, not because it doubts Morgulons is real, but because that's the nature of governmental agencies. Really? They solved fucking Legionnaire's disease in like six months, you guys. Six months. Solved it. Solved. And he insists that the task force is more than just lip service. An infectious disease specialist has been named to head the group, which will also include environmental disease and mental health experts, although he can't release her name. We aren't saying anyone is making this up. That's not our contention, Ruth says. What we aren't sure of is, is if this represents a new entity, you know, a disease. I mean, we're not using that term yet. We're kind of describing it as a syndrome. But for the most part, there is no case definition. Well, then that is going to be a problem when you study it. So we really don't know if these are apples and apples, these various cases, or if they represent common symptoms that may have different explanations if they are examined critically. The biggest problem, Rutt says, is that the CDC has yet to receive a sample of something it can study. People have sent in material that they have removed from their bodies, but these samples are contaminated, Rutt says. The CDC does not have a clinic where doctors can take samples. Instead, they are waiting for samples to be sent in from public health officials. I, I, that makes no sense. That makes no fucking sense. There's the catch-22, says Savely, who treats Morgulons with strong doses of antibiotics, often without success. The CDC won't look into it until they hear from local or state public health officials, and they won't look into it until they hear from physicians. Well, the physicians won't report the problem until the CDC gives them a directive on it. It's just insane. Savely, who was voted Texas Nurse Practitioner of 2004 by her peers, was forced to leave the state in March. The doctor who supervised her practice said he could no longer do so, according to Savely, because the Texas Medical Board warned him that he was putting his professional standing at risk by backing her. Now she practices in San Francisco under Dr. Raphael B. Stricker, who also treats Morgulons. Savely says she doesn't mind being on the fringe of medicine. She points out, of course she doesn't, she's charging 900 bucks a pop. She points out that diseases like chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia were initially viewed with skepticism. Well, finally, they're getting a little bit of respect now, she says, at least from people realizing they actually do have something wrong with them. But for the longest time, doctors just said, you need to see a psychotherapist. You don't need to see me. You see, this is a lot. You see this a lot in medicine. Anything that's complex and can't be readily diagnosed by some known disease is generally referred off to a psychiatrist. Tim Jones sees this as one of the biggest weaknesses of modern medicine. So, I mean, those kinds of diseases are conducive to the seven-minute office visit, which our medical system is uh, really pressuring, Jones says. Clinicians don't get paid proportionately for spending an hour with a patient. They don't get paid six times more than if they spend 10 minutes with them. So you have these competing pressures that clearly are going to contribute to frustration. 
So this Jones person, clinicians don't get paid proportionately for spending an hour with a patient. They don't get paid six times more than if they spend 10 minutes with them. So you have these competing pressures that clearly are going to contribute to frustration on the part of patients who are really hurting. And that's what's happened with Morgulons. Because they have been ignored and stigmatized, the Morgies have formed their own online community where wild theories rage, some of which may only heighten the paranoia and delusions many Morgies already feel. What the fuck are you talking about? These are people digging into their own mysterious illness, and they have no business doing research with microscopes. They really don't, says Lado. I couldn't agree more. The MRF executive director, there's no justice to the fact that they are researching their own illness as their lives completely fall apart, completely disintegrate. On the morning of April 23rd, 2006, Lisa Wilson found her son, Travis, dead. Doctors later found between 50 and 100 pills in his stomach. Leander police called the death a suicide, but Lisa Wilson believes that the pills in his stomach were not the result of an overdose. Travis took 30 to 40 pills a day anyway, everything from vitamins to herbs to sleeping pills to worm medication for horses and cows. The way Wilson figures it, Travis was simply looking for relief. In the weeks before his death, she tried everything she could to help her son. She would have him flown to another country to find a doctor if it would have helped. In the final year of his life, she spent more than $16,000 on antibiotics. At his funeral, she described Travis as a very shy young man who loved computers, electronics, and the guitar. He was buried in Shelton, Washington, where he'd grown up, with a sword he and his father had bought at Excalibur Casino in Las Vegas. It was a symbol of the way he had fought Morglons like a warrior, his mother said. I don't want Travis's death to be in vain, she said at his funeral. If we can help other Morglon survivors to survive, this would make Travis very happy. Not long after, Travis Wilson's death was mentioned on Morgan's message boards and other websites. His story was featured on news programs in Portland and San Antonio. He became a symbol for Morgan's patients everywhere, the public face of a mysterious disease. In the end, no one knows for sure what killed Travis Wilson. Although his mother says he no longer abused heroin, his online journal made frequent references to drugs and suicide, even in the last entry he left. Presenting him as the first Morgulon's casualty, as some media have done, is misleading to too many other factors cloud the circumstances of his death. But Lisa Wilson doesn't see it that way. It was Morgulon's, a disease with no known cause or cure, that drove him into madness, desperation, and loneliness. Even if his drug overdose was not accidental, he was only looking for relief from the pain caused by Morgulon's, she says. The greatest tragedy, she says, would be to ignore the disease or to dismiss it as imaginary because somewhere there is someone else suffering, just as her son did. Whew. You're right. You are right, Miss Wilson. Lisa, there are plenty of people out here suffering today with Morgulans, just like your son. And he did not die in vain any more than we all die in vain. The important thing is, is to live now in this moment and keep fighting. Keep fighting for recognition. Keep anything but silent. I know I will, and I hope to hear from you as well. Have a wonderful Friday. Stay tuned.